Hello. Welcome to the Bore You to Sleep podcast. The podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. I am going to read an open source book, one that is not particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. Tonight's readings on the Boy You to Sleep podcast are going to come from the American Bee Journal. At its time, it was the oldest bee paper in America, established in 1861, devoted to scientific bee culture and the production and sale of pure honey. I hope you enjoy it and hopefully it makes you feel a little bit sleepy. The American Bee Journal Correspondence Pure liquid honey in glass jars Under the heading I find an article from Mr. W. M. Hogue, who says that he has invented a way of preparing liquid honey so that it will not congeal. He adds that this discovery will be beneficial to beekeepers, and he explains how we will profit by it. The tendency of honey to candy for all the adulterators of honey has proved to be a great impediment, while for the producers it is a good characteristic, for it is the best stamp that a beekeeper can put on his product, a stamp that adulterators are unable to counterfeit. Now that the consumers at large begin to give their preference to candied honey, the adulterators seeing their sales decreasing try to invent some means to stop this result and incite us to help them to continue their fraudulent practice. Let us remember that the candying of honey is the best test of purity thus far, that by preventing honey from candying, we lower it to the level of glucosed honey, and that as long as liquid honey can be found on our markets, we will be compelled to compete with adulterated honey for the profit of this adulteration will always tempt the unscrupulous dealers, while we will be 
unable to compete with them for the price. A few years ago, we could find liquid honey in glass jars in every good grocery. Three years ago, I produced at the Western Illinois and Eastern Iowa Convention held at Burlington, Iowa, one of these bottles bought in St. Louis labelled pure extracted honey from John Long, New York. Mr. Hogue, who resided in New York at the time, probably knows John Long. This pure honey was analysed by an expert chemist and found mostly glucose. These jars and tumblers are now of slow sale for the consumers begin to have confidence in candied honey. We are therefore in a fair way for selling our product. Let us go on and turn the cold shoulder to the advice of those who have so far caused more prejudice than profit to beekeepers. Mr. Hodge, who has visited the old continent, knows as well as I do, that in Europe, liquid honey is unsaleable, for the consumers are accustomed to buying candied honey. Let us persist in our efforts to educate the people on this question, and we will drive all spurious honey from our markets. Colchian Honey I see in the Bee Journal under the above caption a question from Mr. H.G. Colwell of Columbus, Ohio relative to the effects of honey eaten by the Grecian troops under Xenophon as they passed through Colchia in their famous retreat, Homeward. In regard to this, you propose a query. Why did the ancient Colchian honey cause the above disorder? I have frequently had my attention turned to this subject in reading Xenophon's Anabasis in the original from which the extract by Mr. Colwell is taken. From the best sources of information at my command, the following seems to be the most rational. The honey of Asia Minor in many localities appears to be gathered from the flowers of the order of a punisai, 
or dog's bane. Of this order, Professor Wilson in his botany page 588 observes, these plants possess active and often suspicious qualities residing in the white juice with which the order is pervaded and in the seeds which are often deadly poisons. The alkaloid strychnine, one of the most violent poisons, is the active principle of the Strichoria nux vomica of India. It is sometimes administered as medicine, but with doubtful success. A single seed of one species is sufficient to kill 20 people. The order is generally emetic. In corroboration of this, I will give you the opinion of the celebrated Ainsworth, who travelled over the route of the Grecians and took notes of all the localities and incidents recorded by Xenophon. He observes that this fact of the honey of Asia Minor being in certain places and at certain seasons of a poisonous nature was known to all antiquity and is very common at the present day. So much so that I have known the peasants to inquire if we would prefer the bitter or the sweet honey. For the honey so qualified has a slight but not unpleasant bitterness and is preferred by many from producing when taken in moderate quantities. The effect of slight intoxication. Pliny notices two kinds of honey. One found at Heraclea in Pontus and another among the Sani of Macrones. The first he supposed to be produced by a plant called Egolothron or goat's bane, the second by a species of Rhododendron Diosordes, Diodorus, Sicilus, and Aristotle all notice the honey of Heraclea Pontica. The celebrated botanist Tornafort ascertained on the spot that the honey of bees feeding on the azalea pontica, also on the rhododendron, ponticum possessed mischievous properties, but as the bitter and intoxicating honey is found in many parts of Asia Minor, where these plants do not flower,
it is extremely probable that these peculiar properties are further derived from the flower of Nerium oleander or common rose laurel, the leaves of which are known to be acrid and poisonous. The natural family to which this belongs is distinguished by plants endued with dangerous and fatal properties, and these act on the nerves so as to produce stupefaction. Rhodorakei also possesses narcotic properties, but in a less marked degree. It appears from this that the honey gathered by the bees from these poisonous plants possessed some of the inherent qualities of the plants themselves and operated like a narcotic or opiate on the nerves producing stupefaction and intoxication. If you see proper, you can give the above a place in the weekly with which I am so far very well pleased. Sargo, Ohio. Combined summer and winter stand H. L. Penfield. The engraving shows a perspective view of a combined winter and summer stand, which I put up to accommodate 12 hives of the standard Langsroth pattern. It is constructed as follows. Put in the ground nine oak posts, four by four inches, for a frame to nail the 14 foot boards to three posts on each side and three between these set in the ground 18 inches. The ends are nine feet wide, which I find gives ample room to manipulate the bees between the rows of hives. The operator being in the shade and not in front of the entrance of the bees which seldom bother me. The sides from east and west. The ends are open during the summer and the north end bordered up in winter. We use millet hay for protection, filling in spaces between the hives and over and under them, almost filling up between the rows, clearing away enough in front of the entrance for the bees to take a flight when the weather permits. That concludes 
our readings for this evening. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this book and you're more than welcome, as always, to listen to another episode of the podcast if you're not quite feeling ready for bed yet. Until next time, good night and I look forward to reading you another story very soon.